we had a plan. Like, you know, if you get separated, here's what you do. And, and we're not, we're going to try not to separate and we're going to stick together and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We had a, a, a loose set of rules to abide by to try to keep each other safe. Hello and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Sachandrika and I'll be your host. So in this episode, my guest is Kim Fox, who's a journalism professor at the American University of Cairo in Egypt. She had a global letter from lockdown in the last edition of my newsletter, which you can find at sachandrika.substack.com. And while you're there, why not subscribe? You'll get to hear from me in your inbox every now and then. So back to my guest. Kim has lived in Cairo since 2009, two years before the Arab Spring, which included the Egyptian Revolution of 2011. The movement began as student protests against the increasing police brutality of what would become the last few years of Hosni Mubarak's presidency. The revolution ended up toppling him. Cairo is the centre of the revolution, with the largest protests being held in Tahrir Square, and there were often up to two million people there at any given time. Kim, who is from Ohio in the US, attended the protests and she sees the parallels with the current George Floyd protests in her home country. Kim goes on to tell me how her students use social media and they're not really keen to use their personal accounts for journalism. I found with my training that's kind of a hallmark of how younger millennials and Generation Z use the internet and use social media. I think if you grew up with the internet and you've been on social media as a teenager, you probably have learnt through experience to draw a line between the personal and the public. So it also feels like a sensible reaction to living in a country that has faced internet censorship in the aftermath of the revolution. The media landscape in Cairo has also transformed in the 11 years that Kim has lived there, and podcasting is really taking off. From arriving to a bare classroom in which to teach her students, Kim now works in smart studios and uh, she describes the rise of audio in this episode. Cairo even has its own podcast festival now. So let's hear from Kim Fox. Normally Cairo is just full of car horns, uh, just the sound of traffic, you know, going around. A lot of old cars are out there spewing, uh, you know, emitting fumes and things like that. So actually Cairo has a lot of character. And so during the lockdown, it's like, you know, you can hear the birds like that, like that's nice. And, you know, you can just see that the air is cleaner. The heat thing is an issue. I mean, that's another reason why I try to get up earlier to go out and, and do my walks or ride my bike. During the academic year, I was still teaching. So I would try to get walk in before I had to teach my first class on, on Zoom. And so for the first part, we were teaching our normal class time, which is 75 minutes. But for Ramadan, I think we reduced it to 60. It was really tough, I think, for the students. And and knowing that I had to adjust the way I teach just to make sure we could get through it. And in Egypt, in Cairo, there is a huge culture of, of going out and socializing as groups and families. So to have the group component removed Uh, I just think it really impacted a lot of people's psyche. 
We're coming up on now the 10th anniversary of 2011. I remember going to the protests on a couple of days, but on this particular day, a, a young lady called my name. She, she, all she said, what the students, even though I don't have a PhD, they call you doctor. And she was like, doctor, doctor. And I kind of looked like, who's she talking to? And I realized she's talking to me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I can't remember my student's name. And so I'm looking at her and she's like, no, no, I've signed up to take your class this semester, the semester that's coming. I'm like, oh, wow. And sure enough, when we started classes, she was there and she ended up being like sort of the face of the young people from the revolution, from that 2011 revolution. And she's another one who I've kept in touch with. Uh, Her name is Sarah Abdurrahman, and she is just an amazing person. And it's really nice to keep in touch with them and see their growth over the years. I mean, first of all, I'm not a journalist, so I don't have a press card. So my observations come from, you know, me being someone who lives in Cairo as an expat. But with that said, I mean, I went to the protest. I mean, I was in Tahrir almost every day. I could count the days I wasn't there. And when people ask if it was safe, I felt I felt safe enough to go. And I wasn't obviously going by myself. And I felt like that that was also important because the people I went to Tahrir with, we, we had a plan. Like, you know, if you get separated, here's what you do. And, and we're, we're going to try not to separate. And we're going to stick together. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do that. We had a, a, a loose set of rules to abide by to try to keep each other safe. And so we would go down to the protest. I mean, in the first days, I think it was a bit messy. I, I, I kid you not, it was very similar to what we saw in the U.S. with the uh, killing of George Floyd in terms of things being set on fire and just a lot of outrage from citizens and the government pushing back. And then it went into a different phase that was very festive. And people are just meeting up and saying hello and having coffee and uh, you, your guard was down, I would say. So, so yeah, I thought it was relatively safe for, from my experience. I think we give them too much credit. The young people are not interested in things the way that I am interested in things as their professor and as someone who knows the media. Like we, we talk, we used to use a word called digital natives. And, you know, like, oh, these students already know how to do A, B, C. Like, no, they don't. That's not what they're using their phones for. Like they initially they were on WhatsApp because they just wanted to communicate with their friends in an easy way as a group chat, for example. And now we're saying, hey, let's use it for class. And they're looking like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Or, you know, same thing with Instagram and Twitter. Like I need you to tweet out. And they look like I don't want to use my personal Twitter for that. And I don't use it for that. I don't use my Twitter to crowdsource. So trying to get them to think differently about these tools that they're using, you know, and and forcing them to sort of play between privacy and public, like their public self and their private self. And even so, who apparently just don't want to use Twitter. I mean, they are really Instagram centric right now. I started out in Cincinnati, Ohio, which at the time was a 
I would say the top 25 market, it was probably the top 30. It still is uh, in the top 50, I believe. We were right between all of the technology. With the word processors, they were more portable. They, they were a little bit heavy, but I remember having one that you could close the lid on it and it had a handle that you could then carry around if you needed to. You would have to go back to the studio to edit your footage. I mean, I used to work for the, for the PBS and NPR affiliate while I was in college. And, and so, so, and I worked for the, the, the news division. So I was a little bit familiar with that and, and doing graphics for the show as well. I mean, it, it definitely took more time than what they're doing now. It's called a, a Chiron. So if we were, you know, you're doing your lower thirds or whatever the graphics are for the show and trying to punch all of that in in advance uh, so that so everything is ready to go at showtime. I mean, kind of similar to what we do now, except for is a little bit chunkier just based on the equipment. We went through the transition of running, I don't know if you remember, eight tracks in what we call carts. And, and, and we were actually running turntables at one point, but we were moving to CDs. So yeah, the turn, we were still using turntables. We still had active turntables in the radio station. I remember when I was in college and I couldn't ad lib and I would have to write down almost everything I said word for word to now you can tell me I have 30 seconds and I will speak for exactly 30 seconds without a script. I mean, I was just thinking about uh, my time as an undergrad a few days ago because my college academic advisor passed away. And so I was reflecting on everything she taught us and how I still use her advice to this day. I mean, she had us doing multimedia then. Oh, hello, it's me. Just a quick note. When Kim says then, she means the mid 1980s. Back to Kim. So we were producing this television show called Saudi and we were just doing it for fun. And she found out about it and she was like, you guys can get credit for that. And she was like, and you should be making a radio show and you should be making a magazine based on the content from the interviews. And so like after one thing after another, we started producing all of this other content based off of the TV show. So it was nice to have a black woman as an advisor who was involved in media, who was so instructive. Uh, and, and I say instructive meaning in outside of the classroom. I mean, she made sure that we were able to attend conferences, professional conferences, so that we could network and meet the people who were hiring or who were in positions to hire. And of course, she would prepare us by making sure our CVs were ready so that when we were handing them out at these conferences. Uh, and then she would, of course, say, did you follow up? <laughs> you, you send a thank you letter. The things that I think that we assume people know and they just don't know how to do it right. I'm like, this was so long ago. I'm like, I got a job in Buffalo. I was doing the morning show. I ended up doing the morning show in Cincinnati and in Buffalo. So that's, you know, in the U.S. morning show is creme de la creme. Like that's the, the most popular slot for radio. So, yeah, I was able to do that for a while. Um, and eventually I did go back to 
working in public radio. I've been teaching my students all alone. The it's being, how do you recreate yourself and make yourself stand out in a sea of a lot of people who are trying to do the thing that you're trying to do? You know, how are you going to distinguish yourself? So it does become an issue of, yes, how are you marketing yourself? But what skills do you have that set you apart? I always tell my students in my classes, I kid you not, I am, I am here to coach you to get a job after this class. So it's not, I'm not even thinking about a full degree. I'm saying the skills that you were learning from these classes will get you a job. Now, what you're saying is, okay, the market is just sort of crumbling. So what will people do? Same thing, especially for me teaching audio in Egypt. A lot of people just aren't doing it. So I'm looking at my students saying, hey, yes, you can do a podcast. Uh, the biggest obstacle is how to monetize. I mean, that's a mon that's an obstacle everyone is is really experiencing. But if you want to establish yourself, you can start out by doing it on your own, create your presence and your brand, and perhaps someone will pick pick you up. But I think we we need to be doing more of that. And I've I've slightly mentioned it to my colleagues in terms of a, we should be doing a media entrepreneurship certificate or a course or, you know, something more than what we're doing because our students should be the future, not just the future media practitioners, but they're going to need to reinvent the media landscape. And are we preparing them for that? Um, I know that my first class was scheduled in a room that had a whiteboard and no technology. And I was just like, how am I going to teach without, you know, so a couple of tools that I need? And we didn't have a studio. So we've come a long way since then. Like all of our classrooms are smart classrooms. And of course we have all of this technology and software to execute assignments. And we have a, a, a radio studio where students can go and work. So yeah, the program has gone through a substantial change over the time that I've been in, in Cairo. I can't remember. We had some M audio recorders. They weren't the best, but that's what we had. And since we didn't have a studio, you know, automatically I'm teaching them field work, like how to record remotely basically. Um, and then we're also saying, okay, once their pieces are done, where are they, where are they going to live? So by default, I mean, I was podcasting then because we had nowhere else to host our content except for uh, internet archive. But that was sort of a forced mechanism because I'm just like, well, how else am I going to archive this material that the students are producing? So I assembled a team of my former students to be the reporters who would produce these narrative nonfiction pieces. Uh, the podcast is called the Ekia Master Podcast. Um, and it means tell your story Egypt in Arabic. In English, it's tell your story Egypt. So we wanted to we wanted it to be a narrative nonfiction podcast about life in Egypt. And we did pretty good, but um, you just run into I, I felt like I ran into all of the problems of podcast production when you're doing it sort of by yourself, when, when I'm the one who's expected to understand how it works in terms of getting it going from concept to completion. Like I'm involved in the entire process. 
So I'm managing the team. I'm developing the brand. I'm doing the publicity. I mean, that's a full-time job and I already have a full-time job. It launched in 2016. It became an idea in 2016. And I think our first podcast came out in 2017. We were working on a series before the lockdown and I can't decide what to do with it. The next section sounds a little bit different from the rest of the recording because we had some technical difficulties. So Kim kindly sent me a voice memo about Cairo Podfest. It's an idea that I had a few years ago as we, I don't know if you're familiar with the Egyptian podcast market, probably not because it's really in its infancy. And I've just been trying to figure out ways to grow the podcast community here. And PodFest Cairo was that venture to get some like-minded people in the same space to talk about all things podcasting. So we had about 100 people who came out and we had an international keynote speaker, Hannah Alam from NPR. And of course, we talked about equipment and delivery and interviewing and things like that. But it was just nice to see the community come together, those who are interested in being a podcaster and helping them, you know, see that to fruition. We also had a PodFest pitch competition. So not only were some people who are doing podcasts there, but people who have ideas like, yeah, let's get that out. You don't know how to do it. We can show you how to take it from, you know, concept to completion is what I say. And I was just really excited and proud of that moment. We had PodFest Cairo right before everything started shutting down. So the timing of it was also very key. And I just wanted to get that out there to let people know that we're working on it in Egypt. We're working on cultivating this this podcasting community and trying to produce quality audio content in Arabic and English. My three top tips in podcasting are make sure you're learning as much as you can as often as you can. Another tip is to always respect yourself. And that will be reflected in how people treat you. And my last tip is to have a work ethic, to show up and be present and to do the work. Thanks to Kim Fox for joining me from Cairo for the episode. You can find her social media handles and other useful links in the show notes. As ever, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast to help it reach a wider audience and to enable me to keep making it. And if you like the podcast, you will love the newsletter. So why don't you go and find it and maybe subscribe over at sachandrika.substack.com. That's all from me for now. Speak again soon. Bye.